You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Thanks for listening. It is Wednesday, the 12th of January. It's a beautiful morning here in TW11. Bright sunshine, not a cloud in the sky, and as cold as you'd like it to be on a January morning. Cheltenham hurdle entries have come out for the senior races, the champion hurdle, the stayers hurdle, the mayor's hurdle. Reflections on those later in the show. And also the news that Paddy Power, the bookmaker, are offering a €150,000 bonus for any horse that wins the Irish and Cheltenham Gold Cups. Will that, we wonder, incentivise any horses or waken any from their mid-season slumber? We'll also be talking about the impact that the Lingfield Winter Million might have had on other pattern races in the calendar, particularly this Saturday's Sylvianarco Chase at Kempton Park. Whilst Gordon Elliott is assaulting the British programme this weekend with 18 entries across Warwick and Kempton. Bob Ollinger is back this weekend as well for trainer Henry de Bromhead. We'll be discussing that and we'll also be talking about the gambling review a little more as it reaches the sharp end. Later in the show, I'll be talking to Harry Bentley, who's establishing himself with a significant career in Hong Kong. And J.A. McGraw will be along as he is every Wednesday with his advice for today's fixture at Happy Valley. And a look at the Hong Kong scene, which includes the return of Zach Purton. He must have been worrying about his bank balance. But we'll start today with sad news, and that is of the untimely death of a filly who at times last year was quite simply breathtaking. The runaway, record-breaking Oaks winner, Snowfall who sadly had to be put down after complications, having suffered a pelvic injury some days ago, according to her trainer, Aidan O'Brien. In a moment, I'll be talking to Paul Smith, representing his father Derek and mother Gay and the Coolmore partners who owned Snowfall. But first of all, Lydia is with me today. Lydia, this is a, a really difficult loss to take, particularly after the loss of the other star, Ballydoyle Philly Santa Barbara, earlier in the year. Yes, it's really sad. I assume we would have been looking forward to seeing her being campaigned at four, as her relative found was, um, and it's a it's really a, a great shame that we that we won't see her and that they won't be able to breed from her. And um, she had such an interesting story, Snowfall. I mean, she was extensively campaigned as a two year old. Of course, she was part of that famous mix up drama in the twenty twenty Phillies Mile when she and Mother Earth were confused at Sabling. And uh, she was supposed to finish third and actually finished eighth. And this probably wouldn't have been spotted were it not for a sharp-eyed TV viewer. And then when she came back as a three-year-old, she was a completely different filly. She had matured, stepping up in trip really suited her. She won the Musidora, the Oaks, the Irish Oaks and the Yorkshire Oaks on the bounce. Particularly impressive in the Oaks and the Yorkshire Oaks. And of course, she handed Frank Dettori that wide margin success in, at Epsom. And he said it was one of the easiest classic winners, if not the easiest classic winner that he'd ever ridden. Um, with um, Ryan Moore, of course, back in fifth on Santa Barbara. Um, Moore was back on for that wide margin success in the Yorkshire Oaks. She wasn't quite so good towards the end of last year. Second in the Vermeer, uh, odds on one to five. Sixth to Torquato Tasso in the arc and third behind Ashada, which was particularly surprising perhaps in the British champions Phillies and mares when she was a bit keen and hung to her right but um, she's going to be greatly missed I mean she's from such a fabulous family a daughter of deep impact um, she would be one of the most um, important deep impacts that we've seen in in Europe along with Saxon Warrior of course he's extensively 
um, had an impact, no pun intended, out in Japan with the likes of Ash Hinkari and Contrail and Gran Allegria. Um, and on the dam side of the, of the family, the dam was um, a Group 3 winner at Cork and she's um, a full sister to found. So Snowfall was her first fall. They'll be hoping that she manages to produce something akin to this ability in the future but yeah it's very very sad and it's it's a it's a great shame particularly for all those um you know close to her that looked after her um and those who own and trained her um but also for the sport itself well earlier today i spoke to paul smith representing the coolmore partners i commiserated with him and asked him how tough a blow this was to take for the whole team yeah thanks nick yeah it was a tough few days um it's it's a massive loss really i mean she, you know she was she was such an influential filly i feel for everybody around uh, around bally doyle and Coolmore, um especially for amy amy butler who looked after her um it's been a tough two a few days for her and um, she's a big loss you know and that's where you really appreciate the people that have been so close to her and uh, you know we're very fortunate we're there we, you know we collect the trophies when she's lucky enough to win but it's it's those people that i'm feeling for the last few days because um because it means the world to them and you know whether they win group ones or you know they're running running in low low grade handicaps they live and breathe these horses and um you know it's 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 really hard I said it's a bit an unusual career. What are your what are your sort of abiding abiding images of of Snowfall? She was always well regarded as a two year old. Um, probably hit the crossbar a few times and di- did didn't do what we hoped she would do. But then she completely flourished over the winter. And as as, as a three year old, you saw what she did. Um, f- fantastic mind, um, beautiful temperament, um, lovely physique. Um, and she just really flourished in that three-year-old career and she was just a, just a marvellous, marvellous filly. I mean, to what extent do you do you think she was an example of, that her success was an example of, of Aidan O'Brien, really, and, and his, his willingness to, to play shots where other people might not? I think that's one of the great qualities of Aidan. He's never shy to, you know, to to to, to throw to throw, throw the darts at the board, and he did that with her. And he always believed in her, and he knew coming into into her three year old career that she, you know, she would just develop and fill into her frame. Um, you know, that's the genius of the man. He he knew what he saw on the gallops, and he knew one day that it would um, it would transfer to the race course, and thankfully it did. I don't suppose there's much that surprises you anymore. You've seen so many good horses win so many good races, but um, how surprised, mesmerised, amazed were you by the the emphasis of her victory in the Oaks, which will probably stand the test of time as a record for a long time, 16 lengths? Yeah, I think all those words were very true that day, Nick, because it was an incredible performance. I remember when Frankie jumped off her and he said that it felt like she just joined in at the three pole and it, it looked that way, didn't it? You know, coming around Tatman Corner, she was swinging and um, it was incredible. Um, you know, I don't I don't think with the quality of, of horses that we see these days running in these top graded races, I don't think we'll see the light of that again, really. It was an incredible performance. Paul Smith there. Lydia, in other news today, the entries have been revealed for the senior hurdle races at Cheltenham. So the grade one open races, the champion hurdle, the stairs hurdle, the mayor's hurdle. Any overarching observations looking at those? Oh, well, the, uh, how many um, Irish raiders who look, look very serious in each of the races? I mean, it was a bit terrifying to go through the list. But I think there is some interesting um, entries in all of the races, actually. So... Um, 
Gary Moore is persisting potentially in the champion hurdle with Goshen, but he's also got him entered in the stayers hurdle as well. So maybe he's coming round to the idea of, of, of stepping him up even further in trip. Mom Neral, um, the top-rated four-year-old from last season, who of course flopped in the uh, fighting fifth, he's still entered in the champion hurdle. My mate Mozzie for Gavin Cromwell, who's still a novice. Um, of course, he's been, uh, managed to um, get a horse place when still a novice, Darva Star. Um, in recent years. And Sam Felician, who looks a very exciting horse uh, for, for Gordon Elliott, he's got an entry in the champion hurdle alongside Tehupu and the horse Quilixios, who Tehupu beat um, last time out. Tommy's Oscar's there, as we were hoping he might be. Aspire Tower's there, who we haven't heard from this season. Um, and Adagio and appreciate, appreciate it, as you would hope given that this is their target or stated target um, and they've both had setbacks this season, they have been entered. So that is at least encouraging. Um, the left field entry in the Stayers Hurdle, the Paddy Power Stayers Hurdle, is clearly Asterion Falange. I did wonder on Roger Cheltenham whether that might happen because of his habit of chucking himself to the floor and the fact that he hasn't fallen over hurdles yet. Yes, he's no, the only dramatic thing he's done over hurdles is try and wipe out most of the field, including Shishkin in the Supreme Novices a, a exactly. couple of years ago. And that was, but that was on the tight turning old course. The more galloping stayers, the more galloping course of the stayers hurdle, which he said, which showed he he was suited to when he ran in the marsh last season. I think that's a different different kettle of fish. I think he could run well. Melon's in there, as we thought that uh, he might be, and Santini is in there as well. Um, new trainer Polly Gundry has put Santini into the stayers hurdle, which is fascinating. Darva Star also in the stayers hurdle, which um, Gavin Cromwell rather flagged. Um, and then in the Close Brothers Mayor's Hurdle, Concertista has got this as a potential backstop option instead of the Mrs. Paddy Power Mayor's Chase. L.A. Bell, the novice for Dan Skelton, she's in there. The trip might well suit her, but you'd imagine that she would still turn up in the door and run over 2-1. Mrs. Milner, who won the attempts last season, it's been confirmed that this is her target. And Marie's Rock who seemed to remember how to be a racehorse again and is entered in this Saturday's Lanzarote. She is entered in the Mayor's Hurdle as well. Um, Joe Donnelly, who owns Asterion Folange with his wife, Mari, he, he confessed to me in the winner's enclosure after the Desert Orchid chase won by Shishkin that Asterion Folange was his favourite horse, which I thought showed A, a deep love of horses, and B, an excellent sense of humour. Absolutely. I, I, I thoroughly approve of that. Um, yeah, I, I think that's, that's completely right. I'm glad to, to hear that the priorities are fully in order. This weekend, there's some interesting racing at Kempton Park and at Warwick. And as we heard from Coral Simon Clare on the show earlier in the week, there's been an injection of prize money into the Silvianarco Conti Chase, which is a conditions race at Kempton uh, with graded status. It, it would have attracted a pretty good field. But as we heard from Jeremy Scott earlier in the week, Dashiell Drasher is by no means certain to run if it stays dry in the Kempton area. And it looks as though Master Tommy Tucker... Uh, the horse who finished second to him in last year's Grade 1 Ascot chase, will also be headed for the Lingfield Winter Million, a new concept in a couple of weeks' time, if that goes ahead. Um, the point I'm trying to make, Lydia, is that you put a load of prize money on, you look like you're going to get a nice field, if not a huge one, and yet your two big players could end up going to a brand newly created, carved-out fixture at Lingfield in a couple of weeks' time. Something's not quite right here, is it? 
It's ridiculous, really. I mean, and this is not to personalise it in any kind of way. It's great that Lingfield wants to promote jump racing in this in this way. But the fact is that without any kind of centralised strategy or centralised control, that you have different race courses potentially tugging uh, horses that should be meeting each other in the established races um, in different ways, and you know, maybe revising the 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 jumps uh, pattern is one of the things that the Quality Jump Racing Review Group has suggested. Uh, I am a part of that that review group um, and th- you know the Lingfield millions came along at the same time and um, I think that the whole of the industry is going to have to accept a responsibility to try and ensure that racing is more competitive and compelling for the people who greatly fund it i.e. the punters and those who go and watch it you know the racing has to compete for um with a lot of exciting other opportunities for the leisure pound other sports and other things outside of sport entirely and if it keeps producing these sort of coronations where you know one or two horses dot round in the races that are meant to be their shop windows then people are going to be turned off it you know you can't have a sport that is just suddenly relevant in the middle of March and for a week in in April it needs to be consistently compelling and while you have races that are drawing on a um, similar um, small population of horses you do not have that and it's a bit of a mess and uh, i think that individual race courses and race course groups are going to have to face up to that and the sooner the better uh, if ever you needed evidence that there are quite a lot, lot of opportunities to run your horses in the in great britain look no further than this weekend's entries because gordon elliott uh, clearly one of ireland's um, dominant trainers has nine nine of the 19 and there are only 19 of them entries in this weekend's qualifier for the potemps final at the Cheltenham Festival. Uh, he's also got a total of 18 horses entered across <laughs> Warwick and Kempton this weekend. Um, I, I don't really know where to start with that. Well, he has a, I mean, he has a huge uh, and high-functioning team. He had a fantastic Christmas, didn't he? And, uh, you know, clearly he's, he's just got too many good horses <laughs> for the races that are left in Ireland, so he's got to come over to, to Britain and dominate those. I was interested to see that Cider Burley is entered at Warwick in the Potemps. He, of course, is a dual-past winner of the race. He doesn't seem to be quite at his best so far um, this season. He was pulled up in the Dawn and Engineering Christmas Hurdle last time out. He's got an official rating at the moment of 158. I'll be intrigued if they run... I mean, he's entered in the Paddy Power Stairs Hurdle. Um, This suggests that they'll also be thinking about the Potemps. I wonder whether... Um, with the age years they're now thinking about the latter lesser uh, event and whether there might be a headgear switch come chance. Um, I I just wondered whether an Irish trainer at some point will actually carry out their um, threat slash promise to have a satellite yard in 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 Great Britain at some point. Do you remember when Willie Mullins teased that idea a few years ago? Yes, <laughs> yes I do. God that would be even more terrifying wouldn't it? If you were Gordon Elliott and you had, I don't know how many, 100 horses he's got in his, in his, at his disposal and you had your kind of elite squad of, you know, 60 in Ireland or 70, maybe even 100. And then you had, you had like 70 based in the UK who were all sort of rated between 100, 110 and 145. Absolutely clean up. Absolutely. Ever populating our graded races, it would be very welcome. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Well, anyway, just 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 a thought, Gordon. If you if you're listening, <laughs> that was a, that was a, that was a satirical comment. Just in case people think I've got my numbers wrong. No, it's all right. I think I think via the medium of audio, you're okay. If you tried that one on Twitter, you'd just be absolutely taken down. <laughs> um, 
Bob Ollinger, who is one of Ireland's leading lights, is back this weekend at Punchestown, according to trainer Henry de Bromhead. It's interesting, isn't it, Lydia? Because the, the horse still can't really get beaten uh, and did a, a brilliant job up to a point on his, on his chase debut. But he sort of slipped back in terms of superstar status a bit, hasn't he? has a little, um, partly because he was not entirely convincing at all fences, I think, when winning at Gorham. But nonetheless, he thumped Bacardis by quite a wide margin. And back in third was Master McShee, who went on to win the Faheen Novices Chase at Limerick over Christmas. That had initially been identified as a potential target for Bob Ollinger, along with uh, alternatives at Leopardstown, uh, Ascot. There was another one as well, wasn't there, over in Britain? Um, uh, but in the end, uh, Henry de Bromheads decided to hold back for this Kildare Novices Chase. It's an interesting race, nonetheless. I mean, he faces the likes of Capadano and Gayard de Menil, who both hail um, potentially from uh, Willie Mullins' stable. The former looks like he's a much better chaser than Hurdler when beating the latter, to whom the opposite might apply, um, on debut over fences last time. Um, Gayard de Menil, of course, was second to Bob Ollinger in, in the Ballymore and went on to win at Punchestown. Uh, Noel Mead's got Lieutenant Command in there, who was slightly disappointing last time. And Jessica Harrington has got Lifetime Ambition, who's really taken to fence as well. So if some of those take on Bob Ollinger, this could be a, a proper um, competition, uh, you would think. Um, and I'm excited to see him. I mean, it's good to have some substantial racing um, this weekend. That's one of them. And the Moscow Flyer, of course, is another. Yeah, while we're on that theme, Lydia, it's just worth noting that Paddy Power of, of Gamely, uh, put up a €150,000 bonus for anyone who, who wins the Irish Gold Cup and the Gold Cup um, at Cheltenham. It would be nice to think that this would be a, an incentive, wouldn't it? It would be, um, but in the short term, I can't see it being so, um, because if you look at the top five of the betting for the Gold Cup, Aplutar, Galvin, Minella Indo, Protectorat, Album Photo, they're all going to uh, Presses F1 straight to Cheltenham, um, and Paddy Power say they're laying down a gauntlet to British trainers. Well, you know, it, with the similar would apply to Irish trainers with that list that I've just read out, bearing in mind that uh, three Irish trainers, trainers are responsible for four of those horses. I mean, the, the, their, their fear about who might land the bonus relies on Tornado Flyer, who I can understand that you probably should fear in the way that he popped up with winning the King George, or no, no sniggering at the back, Asterion Falange, um, who um, could pop up in the um, Irish Gold Cup. Uh, it might well tempt someone like Nicky Henderson to come over with um, either a Chantry House or even Champ, sort of chain, change plans. Perhaps it will. And of course, Paul Nichols was talking about running Frodon anyway, but there'll be no chance of a, of a bonus because that horse is not entered at Cheltenham. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I mean, the Dublin Racing Festival is regarded over here uh, and everywhere as a, as a huge success. But at the moment it seems to be struggling with uh, background grumbling about the state of Leopardstown's ground, uh, that consistently the kind of ground that has been produced for, for that, that festival, both Willie Mullins and Gordon Elliott have made comments about that kind of thing. So Paddy Power is potentially battling against that and also battling against this increasing view, and this is one of the things that the Quality Show Racing Review Group is trying to tackle, that uh, racing infrequently um, is the way to pr to prepare your horse best for Cheltenham. Now, of course, Galvin has raced quite frequently frequently this side side of Christmas, so they have seen people have seen him in Ireland. And Minette, you can't say that Minella Indo and Aplutar haven't tackled uh, good opponents. They they certainly have. Um, but in, in terms of Albion Photo, you couldn't really level that at him, could you? Um, so that's a that's a concern. I, I, I don't think it's going to have any any 
huge effect, sadly. It should do, and let's hope it attracts some British players because uh, they should try to have um, uh, an opportunity to weak their Wawenge, as uh, Paddy Power suggested. I know you and I have spoken quite a bit about the gambling review on this podcast, and I interviewed Michael Duggar, the Chief Executive of the Betting and Gaming Council, on this podcast last week. I talked extensively to um, professional gambler Neil Channing about this on my Sunday show on Racing TV again. But we are now coming down to the closing stages before the government produce a white paper which will outline uh, their their policy. And I sort of just wonder whether, Lydia, the, the sport is slightly drifting towards that and just hoping for the best. I think they seem to be assuming that everything's going to be all right. And I think that they should have a little bit more care uh, towards those people who bet on the sport, not just uh, in terms of self-interest in that, that they you know greatly fund the sport. And without them... Uh, the sport wouldn't have had any income at all, of course, during the, the first lockdown. And um, that should be at the forefront of everybody's minds. And if it's more difficult for followers of racing to have a bet and get a reasonable bet on as a result of, any, of anything that happens here, um, then racing will have been asleep at the wheel. It already, in my opinion, um, n- has neglected those customers, those customers that, that follow the sport really closely and who have struggled in the past to get a reasonable bet on, who are closed or restricted by uh, bookmakers. And, and my concern is that um, the single customer view could partly be used for that kind of practice. I would prefer there to be an independent ombudsman who, who would run something like that, who would ha- be able to carry it out consistently, who would use, who would have red flags that they would apply consistently and that have teeth that can actually impose fines or suspensions or removal of license on, on uh, bookmakers who, who um, uh, invalidate the, the, the rules. I would like separate wallets for betting and gaming. I know you spoke to Michael Duggar um, last week and um, he didn't want that, but I think that would be a, a really helpful thing. I'm not suggesting that from an ivory tower. I'm not suggesting that um, nobody ever um, can become a vulnerable gambler if they bet on the very erudite sport of horse racing. But I am <laughs> suggesting that it's still, <laughs> it's still a very long way away from repeat, press, repeat, press, repeat, press, repeat, gaming. Um, and I think it's more towards the other end of the spectrum. So um, that that is what I would like. And I would like the racing industry to have a bit more care for one of its core um, customer groups. You know, we've seen time and again how well the racing and betting industries can work together in terms of in terms of content and promotion when it when it's really when it's really singing. But I, I must confess, I had I had some sympathy with the piece that Jonathan Harding wrote in the Racing Post earlier this week about um, bookmaker sponsorships of races and just a kind of a sort of thoughtlessness to the sort of blanket sponsorship uh, of races with no real sense of, of activation and no real sense of you know what this means to the sport or is this is this a partner that wants to promote racing if that makes any sense. Yeah. It does. It totally makes sense. And you and I have chatted about uh, about this before. Um, that, and there seems to be no sort of sense of responsibility in terms of the um, ga- gaming product or um, gaming companies that they promote. I mean, I, I am willing to bet, to bet quite a large amount of money that when those sponsorships were, came through, nobody asked the question about uh, how they behave towards the customers. You know, what, how do they beha- behave towards betting customers? What's their uh, record in terms of, of, of looking after people who who might become vulnerable um, to problems with, with, with gambling. I bet none of those questions were asked. And that, that, that is just not enough social responsibility. And it's not enough responsibility to the sport. I mean, other 
sponsors look at the sport and it's completely wallpapered with various bookmaking firms some of which no one has ever heard of and will never have a bet with and they think well that's not a sport where I can I can have some some sponsorship so you know, again I mean that's what I understand that's where the racing league is coming from is trying to to, to say to sponsors actually there's a lot more to this sport and it, it's not just what you think it is I, this there just needs to be a lot more thought and and, and a lot more care but I, I do underline I just single custom review I, I just think that has to be run by an ind- independent organization it can't be left to the gambling companies themselves to operate this because of their track record of behavior both towards vulnerable uh, potentially vulnerable customers and their attitudes towards uh, winners and you know I, I think there has to be a, a, this has to be a well-regulated space and any well-regulated space tends to have an independent ombuds- ombudsman to protect those who need it um, and also ensure that any uh, anything that's introduced is proportionate because the information commissioner's office office hasn't given carte blanche for a single customer view they've said that it that what they have said suggests that it ought to be proportionate and it would be legal if it's protecting a vulnerable customer group but you know it has to be questioned whether it would be legal if it actually extends to affect those people who are not deemed to be at risk well before we head to j.a mcgraw with his weekly update on what's happening in hong kong and zach purton will be back Uh, this week. Let's check in with uh, British jockey Harry Bentley, who's having his first full season in Hong Kong as we speak and is doing really well with 10 winners at this stage already. And and knowing how hard winners are to come by in Hong Kong, that is no mean achievement. Um, Harry, thanks for for joining me. You've ridden all around the world. How how are you enjoying this stint in what is undoubtedly one of the most competitive uh, jockeys groups anywhere on the planet? Yeah, hi Nick. Thanks for having me. Um, it's certainly very different to uh, anything I've ever experienced before. Um, as you mentioned, I've ridden in a lot of places around the world now, and uh, this definitely um, is different to all of them. It's just incredibly competitive. Um, you've got some very good riders, but uh, the likes of Joe Moreira and Zach Purton really dominate the jockey ranks here, and it's it's difficult to... Um, I, I guess manoeuvre around those two when they take such a, a big chunk of, of the good rides. But uh, so far, I'm really enjoying my time here. And it's um, it's it's a steep learning curve, but uh, I think I've, I've been taking a lot in. And from what you've seen so far and from your perspective now, why do you think it's always been considered that Hong Kong's such a tough place to succeed? Well, you've only got two race courses with Happy Valley and Sha Tin, but the rail position uh, moves every meeting and it's obviously in order to preserve ground throughout the year. But each uh, course with the different rail positions seems to have a different track bias as to where the pace, um, where the winners come from, if they come from on the pace or off the pace. And a lot seems to change from from week to week, and I think it's just adapting to those different rail positions, and um, that that's part of it. But also, the trainers are—I um, don't want to say closed-minded, but they certainly won't put you on the, the top chances straight away. I feel like you really have to um, prove your worth, and it takes a while to break down those barriers. And also, I think. Um, being a British jockey probably puts me on the back foot slightly. You've got a few Australian trainers here who uh, obviously seem to to use the the Australian jockeys more so because I guess they know them from back home. So I come here um, pretty unknown, to be honest, and um, I almost feel like I have to start again. So if you're willing to give it time, 
I think it, I think I can make it work. But uh, if you come here and just just want to do a quick three month stint or something like that, I think it'd be very hard to um, to break into it in such a short amount of time. And you've been all around the world. You've had great success in Qatar. You were a multiple champion jockey there. What prompted this move? Why did you want to go into the Lions Den? Yeah, very peculiar timing to do it. But to be honest, I mean, Hong Kong's been somewhere on my radar for a while. I've always wanted to give it a go over here. My weight's always been, I've been able to ride at light weights. And, and that's a big part of riding here is being able to do the lighter weights. It gives you a massive advantage. So in that respect, I, I just wanted to give it a go. And having ridden in all sorts of countries around the world I was up for the challenge um but I actually hadn't applied to come here I got a call out of the blue from um actually from Ryan Moore and he asked if I was would be interested to come here and um I think the club here had asked him if he could recommend anybody to to ride in the ranks here so he put my name forward and lo and behold a couple of weeks later I got a call off one of the stewards here asking if I would be up for coming straight from Dubai to Hong Kong because with travel regulations at the time I wasn't able to go from the UK because it would have meant um, with all the quarantine procedures 31 days 21 days out of England and before coming here and then doing another 21 days in quarantine so that wouldn't have worked but coming from the UAE I was able to do three weeks in quarantine and then straight into the into the riding so it made sense for me um, I had um, parted ways with as a stable jockey for Rafe Beckett at, uh, at the end of last season. And um, I just didn't feel like I had anything to lose. I'm, I'm at the right stage of my career being, well, I'm 29 now. Um, it's it's a, it's a great time to give it a go, uh, a challenge like this. And um, I was ready to jump at it. Do you feel like your riding's improving already? I definitely think I'm taking a lot out of it, for sure. I, I do think I've stepped my game up. Um, you don't have agents here either, so huh. everything has to be done um, by all your form and uh, all your communications with uh, trainers and owners has to be done yourself. So you really have to be on the ball. If you if you wait around and if you're sleeping, you're going to miss the boat. So uh, um, I definitely think I've, I've stepped my game up. Uh, having seen you at fairly close quarters, though, Harry, I mean, I, I would, I'd put it to you that you quite enjoy that side of the sport it's not just about what you do on the horse am i right for sure i think it's a massive part of um being a jockey and uh, especially here and i think uh if if you can communicate well which i, I believe i can it's uh, i think it's a big advantage and uh, I, i'm really enjoying that side of things and doing my own rides you really go into each race meeting know what, knowing what you're riding and what their form's like and most importantly of all in in hong kong are you considered to be lucky um, at the moment, I, I, I guess I probably would be. Um, it is a big thing if you're out of favour and things aren't going well, or you're even even if you're drawing bad um, uh, barriers gates. I sound like I'm, I really have been here for a long time, but if you if you keep on getting uh, bad draws, they they consider that as as you're not lucky. So uh, um, yeah, if you're getting the rub of the green, it, it's great. But if you're not, then um, yeah, you, they don't want to know you. And what about and what about but personally and socially and and just sort of adapting to to Hong Kong, particularly in this in this climate and at, at a at a really difficult time? How have you found that? Difficult. Um, it's it, it's definitely a, a change, um, mass of lifestyle massively. I mean, uh, from from being in the jockey ranks in the UK, we were driving driving around to different race courses day in day out. Um, then you come here and all of a sudden you're only racing two days a week. 
and you're racing at the same two race courses uh, week in, week out. So it, it can, in that respect, I guess it can get a little bit repetitive being at the same race courses, but it really gives you a chance to to master them, I guess. Um, not saying I'm there yet, but um, you really do learn the tracks um, inside out. Um, and But, but the lifestyle I, I really do enjoy. I live at the race course, as do all of the other jockeys, and um, it's quite literally a, a three-minute walk from my apartments to the race course where I would get on and ride morning work six or seven mornings a week. Um, so that, again, that respect is, is very different. And um, I enjoy, I enjoy the, the, the culture change and uh, just a slightly different um, way of doing things. I think it's, it's, it's great to, to experience it. Harry Bentley there. And now to the man who is going to give you the broad outlook on what's happening in Hong Kong, J.A. McGrath. Hi, Nick. You remember last week I was suggesting it was a bit adventurous of Zach Purton to be attempting a comeback only 31 days after his horrific fall at Sha Tin. Well, I should have known better. Zach is back, all guns blazing, with seven rides at Happy Valley today. He should be taking a bow. If the fractures in his ribs, his broken nose, his broken foot and smashed wrist would allow, it's quite an extensive injury catalogue. And nobody could say he's taking an easy route back. His first ride is in the longest race on the card, the staying contest over 11 furlongs. That's a staying contest in the Hong Kong context, where sprinters and milers see most of the action. Zach rides red impact for David Hayes in the opening race. Jockeys like Purton never do things by halves. That's why I know he'll be primed and ready and eager to put that first winner on the board as he tries to peg back leader Joe Moreira, who's now nine wins in front in the title race. Now for an overview. In the four weeks Purton was sidelined, Moreira rode 20 winners. He completely dominated the scene. He rode pretty well any horse he liked. It was a good illustration of how one-sided it can become if there are not options available for owners and trainers. Don't get me wrong, Joe Moreira is a great jockey and world-class, but Hong Kong needs Zach Purton just as much, and in a perfect world, there would be another, a third mega-name in the riding ranks as well. By the way, the two new recruits to the jockeys' ranks, Luke Curry and Daniel Moore from Australia, were forced to bring forward their arrival date into Hong Kong when the government decreed that no foreigners would be allowed into Hong Kong for a period of two weeks, starting next week. Curry and Moore still have to complete three weeks' hotel quarantine before they can ride in races at the end of January. The COVID crackdown is in force. They are looking for zero COVID, which is a big ask. Back to the racing. Today at the Valley, race seven, number two, Savvy Delight, will be very hard to beat in the class four, six furlong handicap sprint. His two runs to date have been promising and Magic Man Marrera is aboard. Take him in a tote swinger with Harry Bentley's mount number three, Smart Idea. That's all from Hong Kong. I'll have more for you next week. Thanks to Harry and to Jim and to my other guests today. Let's have a tip from Lydia to round off the show. It's a, it's a medium-term one, if you don't mind. Uh, looking ahead to this Saturday for the Coral Lanzarote Handicap Hurdle, I've had my eye on Don Levon, um, and I thought he ran really well in the Royal Keel a fortnight ago, better than his fair finishing position suggests, held up 
in this steadily run race, mistake two out and also inconvenienced by the fall of Bruna for Storm at the final hurdle. I think the way that the Lanzarotti is likely to pan out is going to suit him hugely. And though obviously I'm quivering in my boots by the fact that there are um, plenty of Irish trained horses entered or enough, you know, there's at least one and that's enough. Um, I'm going to side with um, what I've seen from Darnavon this season. Great, Lydia, thanks so much. That was Wednesday, January the 12th. We'll see you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.